human hell. The dead will walk here. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Thanks for tuning in to Body Count, the podcast for theblackesteyes.com. My name is Philip, and on the line with me is Scott. We are both horror film fans and team uh, players, team members for theblackesteyes.com, film critics, whatever you want to call us. Really, we're just two guys who don't know what we're doing, who like horror movies, and that's what we're doing here on this podcast. We're so fans. We're going to get rock. Yeah, yeah, fans, just like you. So, uh, Scott, what? how are you, man? How you been doing this week? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm... Uh Getting ready for a big weekend. I've got uh, taken a bunch of kids up to the lake for a couple days and for a church retreat. It's going to be fun. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, it's a youth group thing. High school kids. Yeah, sweet. What about it, you? It's been fine. Yeah, we've been good. Just busy, busy as usual. The weather is turning, so it feels a little bit more Halloween-y. Yeah. Uh, a little fallish, so it's it's nice, man. Getting this into the mood. Do you get, Good time to talk about horror movies. Do you get cold right where you are in Kentucky? Does it get real cold? It gets yeah, it gets cold enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we're 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 currently right now we're down into the fifties. Okay. And uh, well, you know we'll yeah we'll get especially last winter man it was a brutal winter last winter. Yeah. I mean just really tough. Uh, there was propane shortage and the whole thing. We had a rough rough go with it, but hopefully it won't be quite that bad. And uh, where you are, I know yeah, it gets we got frigid. Oh man, it's the the polar vortex central right here in, in Chicago land. So I don't have any interest in that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Although I used to live in Colorado, yeah. so I love Chicago, I my, but the, except for the weather, fair share of snow. Yeah, that's the cool thing about Colorado, though. You know, you get lots of snow, but it's completely blue sky sunshine you can go out in your shorts you know it's there's no humidity yeah so it, it just doesn't feel near as cold it's really neat how it is out there beautiful well let's do it man let's jump into our segment called creature feature they wiggle and they today on creature feature scott and i are going to talk about foreign horror movies and we want to set this up correctly because we're going to probably dish out about five each foreign horror films that we think you ought to pay attention to. Worth your time. Uh, we're talking about movies that were filmed outside of the United States. And these aren't necessarily our favorites. This isn't like our top five best or anything like that. There's just way too many, and our, our list would change every day. But we just want to talk about a few horror films that we think have something to say that are interesting or intriguing. You know, maybe they really bothered us. I don't know, but we're going to talk about that and see why we have put our films on the list that you need to take a look at. So, Scott, you got a list? You ready to go? You ready to rock? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, why don't we start with you? What we'll throw one out there and we'll see if I've seen it and okay. we'll talk about it. All right. Well, so, um, you know, when you start to look at foreign films and try to decide I was thinking, you know, I want to make sure that I have some films that may be new to people that maybe aren't as well known. But the first one I want to recommend, I think, is going to be one that most horror fans are at least aware of. And um, it's Let the Right One In. It's okay. uh, filmed in Sweden. It's a Swedish movie, uh, year 2008. And, um, you know, it's a vampire movie, but it's got a little bit different take on it. And it approaches it um, from the perspective of two children. 
um, this is I when I you know there's of course there was the American remake which mm-hmm. had some merit it, it really did but um, you know go see the Swedish one you know you get yeah. it on Netflix that's you know you have to watch the subtitles but it is a much more um, warm and interesting film and I think the characters and the actors are less Hollywood and more more real in, in that way so let the right one is my first suggestion. Yeah, well, that's on my list, so thanks a lot. <laughs> I thought it might be. That's why I yeah, tried to come I, up with some. We, we, we probably knew we were going to go that direction, but it really is that good of a film. And that you use the word warm to describe it, you know, and I think that's an interesting word. I think that word is, is, is spot on. But can you clarify, like expand on that a little bit? What do you mean that it's a warm film? Well, you know, I mean, in in a sense, it's in in the in a surface level, it's a cold film. I mean, it's set in Sweden, right. and it's right. and it's winter in the movie, so it's it it, it projects cold. And of course, there's actually a pretty significant scene where um, the, the vampire child is out in the cold without a jacket and isn't feeling the cold, and you know because she's undead. And there's a little bit of this conversation that goes back and forth about that. But there is just something about this character, this vampire character, um, Ellie, who is um, appealing. And, uh, of course, a vampire – she's essentially a serial murderer. But um, – and, and she's not appealing in the – maybe the traditional vampire movie sense of right. you know glossy, sexy kind of That's right. whatever superhero type. But – um, you feel sort of like this is a lost child that you want to take care of, and there's a a, a friendship that strikes. That, uh, of course, it's very unconventional friendship, but there's a friendship that uh, begins between these two children. And the boy himself has quite an interesting life. He's bullied. He's a victim of of, um, of bullies. He's coming from a broken home, so he's sort of an outsider too. And to see how they find each that's there. There's brutality, but but there's an interesting subplot. The way that the the writers and director and filmmakers put all that together for me made it a very attractive and enjoyable film. You know, for me, the ending. I'm a yep. sucker for revenge movies, <laughs> and I just I just am. You know what? Matter of fact, the, the one on my list is as, as big of a revenge movie as, as you can get, and that ending. It really just brings everything together, you know. It really brings everything home, and I don't want to necessarily do spoilers, but you just you almost find yourself on your feet, rooting for something that's horrific. <laughs> and I, and I think that whenever a film can do that to you, whenever you know, I always come back to this movie directed by Michael Mann called Heat. Did you ever see Heat, uh, Robert De Niro oh, and Val sure, Kilmer? Sure. <clears throat> you can watch the Robert De Niro character. Slaughter an innocent man in cold blood, uh, and a, you know during a bank heist, and then in the very next scene, um, you find yourself sympathetic to him. And I think when a movie is able to move you like that, there's something special going on. I mean, everything about us is to say when we see somebody kill someone in cold blood for no reason other than personal gain, we're, we're not supposed to like that person. There's we, we should have a human reaction against such a thing. But there are times in films where the filmmakers are able to put enough pieces in place where there's more to the story. And so we find, at least I did, find myself being sympathetic toward Ellie, even though I shouldn't be. And I think that that's, a, that's an interesting dynamic 
uh, to this film. And then the the play off of one another, these two children, just added a whole other layer to it. But it, it, am I connecting with you there? Do you know what I'm saying about her character and, and the sympathy that we feel toward her as we're watching the film? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, uh, it's kind of a almost a trope in vampire movies, you know, to try to make the vampire the good guy, you know, to make the the what would traditionally be the villain. Because you know, Dracula doesn't do that. You know, the, no. Dracula doesn't try to make. I mean, he has some sort of hypnotic power over women and, and people and getting them to do what he wants. But the movie, I don't think, originally tried to the 1931 Universal movie didn't try to make you really root for Dracula so much. But there's, you know, but but with Ellie, first of all, it's a child. First, and you know, secondly, um, there's a sweetness somehow between her and this and this uh, and this boy, um, and they're just so beautifully cast. My complaint with the Hollywood version is, um, you know, they they have in the place of Ellie in the Hollywood movie is um, uh, I can't remember her whole name, Chloe Moretz. Um, she's a beautiful young lady, young young girl, um, actress, and it, to me that ruined it. I mean, you, you had to have someone that looked a little more mysterious and not just so so pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, it, th- when I first saw this movie, it intrigued me enough that I and I sometimes will do this if I can. Uh, you know, I'll go get the book if it's based on a book, and the novel, of course, as they always can, they can give you more. And because there are things that the movie just hints at about her that she has mm-hmm. a past, right? And the, yep. Yep. the movie just hints at things. The book gives you a lot more there. And so then going back to the film, I, uh, you know, it, it's more enriched by that. Um, so, you know, if you, if you get them, watch the movie. But, um, you know, if you don't mind, uh, it's not a small book, but uh, you can find it at the bookstore. They do the movie tie-in thing and everything, so – let the right one in was the first Amazon instant video I ever purchased, so it has that distinction for me as well. So <laughs> wow. it's it sits right there in my Amazon. It's really that good. But just one last comment about what you were saying, though. I, the appeal, the way that we kind of want to root for vampirism in most vampire movies, is not so much, in my opinion, because of the quote unquote sweetness but because of the rebellion. Mm. There's something about being a rebel that we like and we that we want to be even though you know we we really don't. Well, it's escapism, that, you know, it's a big part of horror movies. But that's not what's happening here. There's there's something you almost are in love with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's just a really special movie, really well done. And the way the two children interact and talk to each other is not exploitive um, and it's unpredictable. Um, it just it seems natural. It's interesting. It's very very appealing. It's oh, slow. I think it's slow for some American audiences, but uh, it pays off. It pay, oh yeah, wait yeah. The the ending is a it is the payoff. Incredible. Okay, here I go then. I'm going the way that I by the way the way that I did my picks five movies is that I I picked a movie uh, in a different country. So I don't I, I tried to. You know, spread across the globe a little bit here. Um, well, primarily Europe and Asia, but nevertheless, that's where we're at. So I, every all of my movies are from a different country. And the first one I'm going with is South Korea, uh, a movie called I Saw the Devil, 2010. Kim Ji-woon is the director. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, powerful, okay. powerful. 
I Saw the Devil is is a revenge film, and um, it is about a guy who has a fiance, and she gets brutally murdered by you know a psychopath. And it just so happens that this fiance is in Secret Service intelligence, Central Intelligence, something, something another. And so he's got you know the ability to get some information, some suspects. He has training. He has uh, you know all all the necessary ingredients to go on the hunt, which is precisely what he does. But instead of just finding the perpetrator and doing away with him, he he, he toys with him in uh, some really disturbing ways, and then it's kind of a cat and mouse uh, from there. So, what I found, and I'm interested to hear your take on this, but what I found appealing about this movie is um, Kim Ji Won or Woon. Kim Ji Woon is is framing the film in such a way that. Uh, this blending of all these subgenres. I mean, and there's several things happening here: torture porn, um, revenge, slasher, horror. Uh, all these subgenres are in play, and what would normally cause you to take your eyes away from the television, even for a moment, because of you know some gruesome scene or whatever. Uh, you're really just captivated the whole time. You you really can't stop watching the film, and I I give the director great credit for that, and that's really the reason it it made my list. This is one of those movies where you you, you probably should be looking away. Most audience, you know, they're going to be hiding, but you're just so compelled. You're, you're so drawn in, and I think that that is a lot of the way because the, it's so beautifully shot and it captured me in that way what did you think about the movie yeah it's it's a it's a tremendous film i um i was captivated it's got action it's it's got suspense it's got surprises um it's um it's dark uh, you know and uh it had you know what it reminded me of is another south korean film um old boy Mm -hmm. uh 2003 and um although this is old boy on acid um, you know, not the good kind, you know, I mean, just really, you know, it, it was very powerful. I could see where a lot of people would be, um, you know, maybe afraid to kind of watch this movie or walk out of it and films like it. But, um, I, you know, there's something about the adrenaline and the chase scenes and, the um, the back and forth between the, the quote, it's hard to know who the good guy, who, if anybody's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Back and forth between them. I, I mean, it it is an exciting movie to watch. You know, in this film, kind of unlike Let the Right One In. At the, at the end of Let the Right One In, I'm I'm applauding. Yeah. At the end of I See the Devil, I'm thinking that might have been a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just went a little too far right there. And so wow, that takes so a lot a, to say. Yeah, that's. That's a little disturbing. Yeah. So, uh, in, anyway. Yeah. No, that's a great pick. I, I actually thought about including that movie. South Korea is great for some of these. They, they actually, there's a really interesting um, cinema there with in terms of the kind of movies we like to watch. So, my next movie, and I, like you, uh, tried to pick, of the movies I was picking as I was thinking about it this afternoon, I wanted to find one you know i could have easily come up with a bunch of japanese movies but i you know i i thought no i want to spread it out like you did but here is my japanese um horror film and 
Um, there's several I could have picked, but this one is, I think, by far the darkest and most disturbing. And it's called Audition from 1999. Yeah. You, Scott, have you seen that that's one? on my list. That <laughs> <laughs> See, you should have gone first. And then we could have been, I would have been having to scramble. It's always difficult to describe a plot to some of these films because you don't. I don't want to spoil it for anybody that might want to see uh, a movie like this. But um, it, it centers around a, a widower, a, a middle-aged man whose wife is dead, and um, his teenage son wants him to kind of get back into the dating scene, get back in the world. And so um, he and some friends they kind of come up with this notion that they'll have auditions. He will audition women uh, for to be his girlfriend, essentially. And, you know, the, as you might expect, you know, the different ones might come, but then there's one and she's sweet and um, beautiful and captures his heart. Um, but a lot of weirdness begins to happen right after <laughs> that. <laughs> she's not what he thinks. And um, it, let's, let's just say that there's sadism and it, it's – there are points where there is torture occurring <laughs> and the, uh, the torturer is enjoying it and, right. and laughing and it doesn't look artificial to me. Uh, you know, I'm, no. you know, so you can see a lot of the fake laughs in, in movies, ha ha ha, you know, villainous laughs. This really didn't seem like that. This, re- and that's why it's so, it gets under my skin because it really did seem like she was just giggly about, the pain she was inflicting and um, it's, it's a dark disturbing film and it's, it's well crafted. I mean, it's marvelously crafted and it's one of those movies where you're going to be squinting and, and turning away. I certainly was, but you gotta find out what happens, what, who, what's going on, what are her motivations? What, how does this end? And, you know, it doesn't have a great narrative conclusion. (laughs) I mean, it does, but, um, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of answers, and, and um, so that's kind of cool to me too. I kind of like it when movies are a little bit ambiguous. Sometimes when things are too neatly, and horror movies do that. Sometimes they try to answer the questions a little too neatly, and um, I know American audiences really like that, but it doesn't strike me as realistic then because life often is—you don't always know um, w- what people's motivating factors are for the things they do. And that's how the world is that we live in. And so anyway, so those are just some of the things that, that come to my mind with that film. What did you think? Much the same. I think one of the most disturbing scenes and it wasn't, it wasn't gory. It wasn't torturous or anything, but you remember when she's just sitting there by the phone waiting for it to ring and and she's just, She's just sitting there. Yeah. Like there's nothing. You just you, yeah. there's just something like, like the creep out factor you, for days, right? Because yeah. she knows it's going to ring, <laughs> and uh, duh, like whatever, three or four days later, and then and but then when she picks it up, she acts like, oh, I didn't know, you know, I didn't expect you to call or whatever, right. and uh, that it was just an incredibly unnerving film. Or as I said, with I see the devil, you know, you, you're you have to keep your eyes focused even through uh, some some of the 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 harshness on this one i just I, I don't know how you could watch the whole thing without looking away yeah. i really don't i you know i had to you just said you know you probably did too yeah i guess you know the ending there 
you're right with the uh, with the giggling and and just the, the seeming joy that this is bringing her uh, is it's just unsettling. There's no other word for it. But for some reason, it, you know, it it works. You just have to keep watching it. And I think there's two things here. Uh, you know, even from a Christian worldview, that's interesting. First, it all it always comes back to Halloween, of course, 1978 <laughs> Carpenter. But, but that's really one of the first movies where Carpenter introduces the embodiment of evil. Then he doesn't explain it. Right. And all all the other films try to explain Myers what he's doing and going after the family. And you know, Part Six goes as far to the Curse of Thorn and all of this ridiculous, you know. Uh, astronomy stuff and yeah. it's like forget all of that you know carpenter got it right we don't the part of the horror is that we just don't know right you just don't you just don't know what's what's going on here and i think from a christian worldview a lot of our fears uh are prophetic in nature and what i mean by that is we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, and we don't know what next week is going to bring, and we cast our anxieties to tomorrow because of the fear of what might happen. Uh, fear very rarely is encapsulated in the moment. It is always, always a prophetic thing because we don't know. And um, so I think the film says something about that. But then always coming back to going back to the thing that we hate. I mean, it, 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 this, is, this is a little bit of what Paul says, right? That the very thing he hates is the very thing he does. Right. And, and he, and he does, yeah, you know, how <clears throat> horror movies for some reason help us see that in us, you know, because we keep, we keep watching the very thing we don't want to watch. You know, isn't that interesting yeah. that we do that? Yeah, it is. And I mean, it has something to do with, I mean, I think that the, the skill of this film is that this is such an unexpected. I mean, you know, you're watching a horror movie. You know that there's going to be some horrible thing, even if you don't know the plot in advance. But um, her presentation is of, I mean, is of this sweet, gentle, um, submissive Japanese woman, and um, and he is smitten. He's totally smitten. Um, and you can see how that would be. I mean, you you are you at the beginning. You're you're supposed to have some sympathy for him and, and his family. You know, they're trying to get him back out into the, into the romantic field again. Um, and she seems like a wonderful young lady to have stumbled across. But, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes evil or sometimes um, dark things, darkness is in unexpected places. And the same is good. I mean, sometimes we find good where we don't expect there to be much. But um, that's... You know, it, it's it's interesting to me that we don't always have to make the villains look like villains. They don't always have to be deformed Frankenstein monstrous monstrosities. Um, but it's interesting to me when someone can present beauty and the, but has a hidden evil. Because I think, you know, speaking again from a Christian worldview, that is certainly how our adversary operates. He doesn't come to us uh, drooling and snarling, and but as an angel of light, as bringing a, a, the appearance of being our friend, but then there's always something more underneath it that's not so good. It's interesting that these two movies, I See the Devil and then Here Audition, we have in some ways a juxtaposition of the female 
in these films, and I see the devil, you, you could potentially make the argument if you wanted to. I, I certainly wouldn't, but you could make the argument that here we have something that's misogynistic that is taking females and preying upon their weaknesses. And, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's a serial killer who tortures and mutilates and destroys women. That's just who he is. And then the flip side of this, here's Audition, who um, is presenting a female lead who is even more brutal than the antagonist and I see the devil. Right. And so we have, uh, you know, two, two foreign films here that's presenting, um, you know, the female in very, very different ways, which uh, I don't think we intentionally did that, but it's interesting that these two movies, we have two very different things happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. Good one. Well, let me move on. I'm going to, I'm going to do one that is a little bit more, um, well, let's go to Italy. I've mentioned this film before on the podcast. I, you know, once you start talking about Italian horror, you have a wide, wide variety and a, and a large quality, a large list of quality films to choose from. And so it was very difficult for me to decide, okay, which one do I want to throw on there? Maybe we can mention some of the other ones if we have time. But I'm going to mention a film by a director named Lucio Fulci. 1981, the, the movie is called The Beyond. Have, have you seen The Beyond? I, I have not seen The Beyond. Okay. In in America, it's it's it was released at, it's known as The Seven Doors of Death, um, which is a really, really bad version because, as you might imagine, they, they cut several minutes uh, from the movie because it's just too gruesome. Fulci is known, of course, for his gore, a uh, very gore-oriented filmmaker, and essentially the plot of the movie is this, that um, in, in, I don't know, in the early 20th century, um, it's, it's essentially a, a, a mob of folks come and, and murder this guy that they believe is a witch or whatever. And when they murder him, they actually crucify him, which is very um, disconcerting, to say the least. It's a very disgusting scene. But when, when, they, when they crucify him and kill him, it, it opens, quote-unquote, one of the seven doors of death, which means that the dead is now able to come in to the world of the living. Then it fast forward to present age, and uh, we have a lady named um, Liza who is going to open a motel. Unfortunately for her, this is just really, really bad. She's opening it over top of the seven door, one of the seven doors of death. And when when you get into real estate, Scott, that's not what you want no. to do. Okay. And, and so the door was left ajar. It was left ajar. Okay, they didn't you know, close it. They, they forgot to seal okay. it or something, okay. and so it's left ajar. And so she starts getting in here, trying to you know renovate and build, and uh, she makes uh, some a relationship with a, with a doctor, so on and so forth. Bad things start happening, to say the least. And what we have here is unbelievably creative and gory kill scene after kill scene. Probably the most brutal is. A guy gets attacked by these demon tarantulas, and they just start like eating his face. And you can see the tarantulas, like you know, just ripping the skin off. And you know, you, you watch that, and you don't sleep very well. You're looking under the bed for your spiders and stuff like that. But there, here we go again. You know, the gore is done in such a way that it keeps 
propelling the story forward and you just kind of want to see is this stupid door going to be shut you know what's going to happen with all all of the gore and unfortunately i wish i could say that the ending really nicely and brilliantly brought it all together but no actually not at all you you have no idea what's happened at the end uh, the screen basically you know uh, fades to white and it's as if everything has just kind of gone into some kind of state of consciousness or whatever you know eternity has fallen on them or whatever and and that's the end of it but it's really it's really the gore and it is as the use of these deaths that are moving the story along to see what will happen in this demonic spiritualized hotel now because of the blending of the living and of the dead so if if you're not an Italian gore fan you're gonna hate the movie there's nothing appealing about it whatsoever if you don't find something interesting about that subgenre if you do then this is one of the best and I do so I think this is one of the best you can get it seven doors of death and, and you know and it's a little bit a little more tame if you want to go that route but if you're going to watch it, you might as well watch the real deal. You know what I mean? And just and just go for it. The the one thing I'd say about this film, if we're thinking about it kind of philosophically, is is just the idea of this blending of the living and the dead. You could see how that would interest me, mm-hmm. because especially here we are in October, um, getting close to Halloween. You know, especially in Celtic traditions. Uh, all Hallows Eve, so on and so forth, there was this idea that the line between the living and the dead became blurred. And so what would Celts do? What would Druidic priests do? They would light bonfires. They would turn off all the lights in their house. They would wear disguises. They would do anything they could do in order to try and keep the dead on this one night from coming in and invading their souls or whatever and even though we, of course, don't have particularly that view um, in 21st century, at least evangelical Christianity doesn't, we certainly can say that there is spiritual death that is invading our lives um, because of this battle that is going on, the invisible war, as we might say. And anything that and, – and Hor does this a lot, of course – but where there's just a clear blending uh, – bleeding over of that which is supposed to be in hell but is now on earth i find to be interesting of course one of the quotes at the beginning of our podcast in our little musical beginning there is when there's no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth one of the greatest lines in horror cinema and it 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 kind of breaches that topic a little bit what happens when these two worlds collide and in this particular case it is a gory disgusting collision (laughs) (laughs) well i wouldn't expect puppies and uh rainbows (laughs) you know what i mean that to me um i haven't seen this movie but i do like uh films that deal with a similar kind of topic you know it's it's not unique to have a movie based on the door to hell has been somehow opened and um i find it one thing i find valuable in a lot of horror films interestingly is that they do take seriously the reality of um the spiritual world and spiritual realities and the evil the evil itself is um exists that there are you know we live in such a materialistic and and um amoral and um morally relative 
culture. Interestingly, horror films tend to be very traditional minded often when it comes to things like evil and sin and death. And, you know, and so in some ways, that's actually kind of a helpful perspective to, to keep alive in the culture to prepare for proclaiming the good news that we have. But uh, I like films that do this. I'm not a big gore fan only because I'm just too squeamish. Uh, you know, it's it's not based on principle. It's just, I just, <laughs> it scares me. So I don't watch it that much. Yeah. But, uh, Interesting that a squeamish person would have audition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I can't say, I, I so I can sit through, I can watch movies that are gory. It does, it just simply depends. You know, I mean, it, it if there's a, if I feel compelled by the film or some premise of the film or a character in the film, I can, you know, endure that. But it's not something I try to do very often. Yeah, and the Beyond is not. I don't think this movie goes to the level where we can say that there is necessarily an intellectual, captivating presence here. It is. It is more of a visual, visceral experience gotcha. than it is anything else. But that is. There, there's a place for that. And, um, you know, I think one thing you said, and we may have mentioned this before, but it's, 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 it's worth repeating time and again, and that is that when we come to seemingly innocent genres of movies, let's just say romantic comedies, um, which are fine, mm-hmm. but, but what you really find within the context of most romantic comedies is a real neutrality when it comes to morality. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just a kind of a dumbing down of, are people living with one another? It's a given. There's, is there really any sense of uh, a covenant relationship when we're talking about marriage or life before marriage? Uh, does it matter how many partners that you are with? All of these questions go completely unanswered because they're never raised mm-hmm. in these kinds of films. Then you come to horror, and there is a very clear, in most horror films, a very clear distinguishable difference between good, bad, right, and wrong. And I think that in our culture that is healthy mm-hmm. and that is necessary and, and that these films sometimes help us see that a little more clearly than other movies that we think are much more innocent. I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> good. Yeah. Well, me and you are on the same yeah, page yeah, there, Yeah, <laughs> Well, I, no, I mean, in your comments about – I mean, I've, I've given presentations on uh, Christians and cinema – and I've talked about that, that, you know, sometimes a film that might be – it might be a Disney movie. It might be animated, but it might be con- conveying messages about life and love and reality and right and wrong that are actually more harmful than a splatter film right? in some ways. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, just, you just have to get to the next level yeah. because it's when you just say it like that, you know, you say, well, it makes no sense. How can just blood everywhere possibly be good? Yeah. But then you have to read the Bible and there's this cross thing. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of blood in that There's a lot of blood in those two covers. Yeah, there really is. Okay, man, okay, you're up. My next one? Okay, so I'm going to go with an Italian movie next. And um, okay. because I know you, I knew you would either do Fulci or um, – or Dario Argento, exactly. Yeah. I knew you were going to pick one of those, and I like I like those movies. I like Dario Argento's movies, but I picked a Mario Bava movie. Yeah, and this is one that is beautiful to look at in a kind of a haunting way, as a lot of these Giallo movies are. You know, they have this great color, and you know, they're just really great on visual design. And, but I think this one might be less familiar, and it's from 1965, so it's a little bit older. It's called Planet of the Vampires. Oh, yeah. Have you seen this one? I have, yeah. This is, a, sure have. This is a terrific movie. 
it's um you know it you know it it's a 1965 movie okay so it 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 looks like it's it, so it's a little dated by our sort of approach and it's it's a science fiction kind it's of science premise. fiction yeah right it is um except for the vampire element <laughs> and you know <laughs> it's the title so they um but what you know? One of the reasons I first sought this movie is because I'd read about it and um, what an influence it had on Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. And when he made um, a movie that is one of my favorite movies, and that's Alien, um, he had this movie in mind in some ways, Planet of the Vampires. And when you watch it, it does in terms of its plot and in terms of some of the visuals. Um, you can, I mean, it's obvious if you, if you've seen alien recently or know it well enough and you watch planet of the vampires, you'll see, you'll see the influence. Um, but it's basically the premise is two spaceships crash because they, they're responding to, um, on an arch uncharted planet. They're hearing this, uh, distress signal and they respond, but they crash because there's storms and fog. And, um, um, uh, there is sort of a, a, a disembodied evil, presence that lives on this planet that takes over the bodies of these um of these astronauts and as but as they're exploring one again this is the the sort of ridley scott connection as they're exploring they uncover this enormous um remains wreckage of an ancient spaceship that had crashed there long ago and they find the large skeletal remains of long dead aliens and you know and so i kind of enjoyed that but i love the way that he uses light and colored lights and you don't see that in movies anymore and you know so it's kind of of its time but he was great at it and so to me it's kind of fun it's really a it's like a painting it's with light i enjoy watching it um plus it's got kind of a cool plot Oh, that's a really good one. And, you know, I think there's two movies that really come to mind to me when I think about how this could have had an influence. Uh, one of them is the one you just said, of course, Alien. I mean, how many movies start with somebody responding to a distress signal? <laughs> you know, like there's a, there's a lot. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this one kind of helped pave the way, but uh, that's I definitely think about that. But then I also think about um, The Thing, mm-hmm. you know. And there's there's so many elements of people arriving, discovering something, and then kind of have to start putting the pieces together. What what is it that's really happening here? And as we're trying to put the pieces together, we have to keep ourselves safe from this unknown thing that could that could get in us and and inhabit us and possess us and kill us. And so there's two there's two paths that the movie goes down. We got to figure out what's happening. And the other path is we have to stay alive. Yeah, and you know it's pretty neat. Well, and you don't know, do you? I mean, you 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 might know that you're okay, but is Bob next to me? Is that, it is it really Bob, or is it Bob dead? Bob's gone, but some evil force is embodied, you know, in, inhabiting his body. And is it really him? So that's to me. Of course, it's just like John Carpenter's the thing, you know. Where, well, who's really who? We don't really know. So we. You know, try these various tests. And yeah, that's definitely going on here. Now, this is a stretch, and I don't want to. It's just me and you tonight, so if I keep bringing up the Christian worldview, I'm going to assume you're not going to object to that. Uh-huh. But I, I just want to get your, your, your opinion on this because just when you said that, you know, who's really who? Is the person next to me who they really claim to be? How do you think that that correlates to our understanding of? the church in terms of mm. 
Mm-hmm. When, when you when you come to uh, even an Augustinian understanding of the church being that which is universal, who is in Christ. I'm not talking about the Lutheran or the Baptist or the Methodist, but those of us who have come underneath the life-saving blood of Jesus. How do I look at you and I able to say that Scott uh, is truly covered there? Now, the the easy answer is, of course, well, they will know you by your love, your, your fruit, your works. And I think there's a certain a certain block to that, but wouldn't you agree that we have lots of people within the context of the church building that are hard, hard, hard workers, but are working so hard uh, that they don't even know exactly what they're doing anymore, and and uh, are they finding a a reason for service that is outside of their identity of the righteousness of Christ. I find this to be fascinating because when we talk about the church, we just think, how many people are in your church? Oh, well, what do we mean by that? How many are at morning worship, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And or On uh, the roster, on the list. On the mm-hmm. roster, right? certainly. Mm-hmm. On that roster, in that morning worship mm-hmm. service, we have people who, in terms of the genuine universal church, surely are not part of it, and yet we're serving right alongside them. And I find that to be challenging, uh, but maybe at the end of the day, we we leave that, of course, to the one and only judge. But in the meantime, you and I are pastors, and those people are on our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, ever I'm, the if you read the Gospels, Jesus is harshest towards hypocrites. You know, and 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 the definition of a hypocrite is someone who is not what they seem. You know, that they that they project a certain. Uh, image, um, what either intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, that they project something, but that beneath it, there's something else. And Jesus used a great illustration, which is a nice horror illustration. He says, "You're just whitewashed sepulchers. You know, you right. can paint the outside to be clean and, and and sparkly, but inside there's just rotten flesh." And you know, so what? Where I kind of fall down, and if, yeah, we struggle with this, and and um, I, I think we always will. It's impossible for me to know another's heart. I, I can I can evaluate what someone says they believe and what and whether their life conforms to to their confession of faith, but you know I, I'm always um, remembering Jesus's parable of the wheat and the tares. You know where the while the wheat and the weeds are growing up together, Matthew 13. You know the servants say, well, should we just go out and pull all the all the weeds? And Jesus says, no, because you may accidentally pull up some of the wheat. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at the judge at the harvest at the judgment day, there will be this great separation: the the, the flock, you know, the goats and the, and the sheep, and the wheat and the tares. But it is very difficult for I mean, because I'm sure that there are, of course, there are going to be people who um, say the right things and maybe even do a lot of the right things, but really don't have a saving knowledge of, of, of God and, and what he has done for us and his son. But, um, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. In my, in my heart is not so much for those who are faking it and they know they're faking it. It's for those who are deceived. Oh, sure. And, they and think, that, they think they're fine. Right. That's right. And, uh, would be potentially even open, but our, uh, are at a place where that's not possible. You know, last podcast you were talking about Ira Levine, and you know the Stepford Wives comes to mind mm-hmm. because what you have here is something mm-hmm. that looks great, right. but is robotic. That's great. And you know, even even back to the even back bringing this back to a parenting standpoint, you know, we it is really easy for us 
as parents, especially parents of young children. How old are your children now? I have one, and he is 19, believe it or not. Yeah, just one. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, God. Yeah. I know. He's a freshman in college. Yeah, I can't, That's can't. hard to believe. <laughs> Even just as long as I've known you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got, I've got young kiddos, uh, five and under, and it's really easy to fall into the trap of basically teaching them to be Pharisees. Yeah. Of just saying, right. just so long as your behavior is good, right. that's all I care about. Right. You know, just act right. Let's not worry about what you're, what's really going on in your heart, so long as your lips, you know, and that's the very thing that Jesus uh, condemns, so really tough. Isn't this cool how we yeah. can get on these topics, oh. right, from, oh. you know, I mean, this is what everybody thinks of when they think of planning of the vampires. <laughs> the Augustinian model of the church. <laughs> of course. I, that's what Ridley Scott, no. So what's your next one? Okay, my next one is uh, I'm going with a with a Hammer film, mm. one that I think is is uh, was really really important and ties into what you were saying earlier about our understanding of how we or at least how we think and portray vampires today. But this is the 1958 Terrence Fisher directed Horror of Dracula, starring uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, and this is my favorite Dracula movie because um, it it in in one sense breathed in new life uh, to the character Christopher Lee brought something um, a little bit different to the Dracula character Not, he was very very seductive he, he certainly had that appeal about him and yet he was also um, very matter of fact he was intelligent um, he was someone that you began to see I think that began the process of of finding some appeal to that Dracula character as we saw him in Christopher Lee. And of course he goes on to revisit the character and, and, and play him again many, many times throughout the Hammer franchise. Tara Fisher is a monster. Terrence Fisher, this guy, directed so many of these classic Hammer films from The Mummy right on down. And um, this one really works for me. It's just, it's really more of a historical, you need to see this movie you know, if you love horror movies and, and if you want to have any interest at all in vampirism and the story of Dracula. So uh, what do you think about the movie? I think it's a great choice. I love it. I love Hammer films, um, you know, some more than others. This is a great one for all the reasons you said. And, uh, you know, Christopher Lee, what he did was um, he remade Dracula because up till him – Everybody was doing a Bella Lugosi impression. You know, you had the Bella. What Bella Lugosi did in the, in the 1931 movie was so iconic, and that is still what people think of. You know, the cape and the hair, and you know, the Baron, and you know, people still kind of picture Bella Lugosi. I think when they think of Dracula, even people that have never seen the movie. But what Christopher Lee did was he just did his own thing. You know, he I mean he he was faithful. I mean he was faithful to the the original character, but yet it was not a Bella Lugosi impression, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, no, he, you know the way that the first time you see Bella Lugosi in the original Dracula, no, it's it's a big you know, and you stand in there and the whole thing <laughs> The first time you see Christopher Lee, he's like hopping down steps. Yeah. You know, he's he's, he's just like kind of nonchalantly. He's a country the, gentleman. It, yeah, and then when he he picks up the bag and back up they go, and he, he's like I want to say, he's kind of very matter of fact in his mannerisms and whatnot, and yet um, is also very, um, you know, has a very strong presence about him and changed things a little bit yeah well it's like i said it brought life back to that so it's a it's a, it's a great film well done and then of course peter cushing i mean come on it, you 
just the great the, the one line the only thing you need to know about Peter Cushing in this movie is this line if you listen to me you will live <laughs> if not you won't I mean that's that's really that's pretty much the way it, it sum- oh, summarizes man. that whole thing. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, this is great. Well, I love I love those. I mean, those guys are they're they're masters. Um, we still have Christopher Lee with us, but you know Peter Cushing's been gone a long time. But they're just marvelous in these movies, these British Hammer films, and from the sixties uh, and seventies especially. But isn't wasn't it wonderful that Cushing got to do Star Wars? I know, I know. It's just now that everybody knows him, they just don't know they know yep. him. Yeah, you know, yep. because of his role in Star Wars. Okay, okay. Have you got another? I one? do, and um, actually, it's a nice um, partner to the one you just gave, because I was thinking of of, of Great Britain and trying to think. Okay, um, do I do a Hammer movie? I thought no. Um, I think Phil's going to do a Hammer movie. So I'm going to go with the Amicus Film Company, which was um, kind of Hammer's um, younger, slightly less um, attractive sister, so to speak. They, they made a lot of these kind of lower budget. They were lower. They were the lower budget company. Hammer had the bigger budget. Hammer was more violent. Hammer had, uh, you know, showed more skin mostly. And so Amicus was, you know, but they made some great flicks. And um, I just watched one the other night that um, I got from Netflix on disc, and it's, it's called The Asylum. It's from 1972. And, you know, one um, type of horror movie that I really, really like, and I wish filmmakers still made a lot of these. They don't very much. And these are those anthology movies where they're kind of like Creepshow or, you know, or Tales from the Dark Side, kind of a, a film where you have a setup and then there's three or four or five tales. I guess VHS was like that. It was right. an anthology movie. Um, I like those. I really like anthology. I like short stories. I like I like anthology movies. And this is one of the best, I, I think, Asylum. It's it's dated. It you know it looks dated, and, and so some parts of it that are supposed to be scary are actually kind of ridiculous. But um, it, it's got it's got Peter Cushing in it. It's got Britt Eklund. I mean, it's got a, a wonderful cast and um, some really in, you know interesting stories. And it's written. And here's the here's the um, the clincher. It's written by Robert Block, the same guy who wrote Psycho. Yeah. Wow. The Asylum. You know who else is in that? Herbert Lom. Do you know who that is? I, I, I'm not. Herbert Lom was the chief inspector in all oh, of the, the Clouseau movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I recognized him. I just didn't know the name. Yeah, he's in it. And yeah, he is in it. Britt Eklund was Peter Sellers. Wife, uh-huh. right? I Isn't think, that right? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, she's in a lot of movies from that time, but I can't. I think she had. I think she was. Pe- yeah, Peter Sellers' wife from '64 to '68. So yeah, she's Swedish. That, how about that? Yeah. But I've not seen it. I've not seen the movie. Well, you- so how many? How many? Uh, sh- sh- you know, so anthology is a bunch of short films. You know, what is it? Three or four? Yeah, this one. Little- I think this one has four stories, and basically the setup, and they all have a setup. You know, there's some some kind of a um, a frame for the whole thing, and so the idea is that this this nice young doctor is um, interviewing for a position to be a psychiatrist. At this, at an asylum, at a, at, it looks like an English manor house, you know. I mean, it looks like Downton Abbey, okay. And he pulls up, and he's interviewing to be sort of one of their resident 
um, head shrinkers. And the guy that he's talking to says, well, here's your test. Here's how I'm going to know whether you are the right man for this job. He said, he says, my predecessor here uh, went mad. You know, the former head of this institution went insane himself. And he is one of the patients. And you're going to meet several patients. And if you can tell me which one is the former head, then you get the job. Okay. And so he had, he has to go to room to room to room interviewing each of these patients to get their backstory and to try to discern whether or not this is the guy or the gal that um, you know he's going to be replacing. And so then that's the setup. And, and so, so he's going from, from room to room in the, this corridor. And with each patient, they then tell their story of why they're there and all that kind of – and it's just kind of a cool way to tell a story that I enjoy. Very cool. Yeah. That's that's that you said, oh, you're still getting I didn't even know Netflix still did DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> so they do. You've still got that thing going on. I but do. so it's not on the streaming, huh? Uh, it's not on Netflix streaming. I don't know if it's available in other formats. I like the I you know, I'm just looking at it here online. I like the uh, artwork. Yeah. Very very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you kinda I mean, like I said, it's it, you know, some of the stuff is looking pretty dated, but um, if you can just kind of take that for what it is, it tells some pretty scary stories. You know, if, if I wish, I really do wish filmmakers made these, anth- you know, there've been a few here and there, but, um, that's just a, that's just a way of telling horror stories that I really like. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, me too. And there's been some really, really good ones and some really bad yeah. ones, but there's, it's just, it just feels manageable also, you know, especially if you. If you've got thirty minutes, you can watch, yeah. you know, one, and then come back and revisit, and you haven't lost, you know, the plot. And well, and they have to get to the point. I mean, if you're going to have twenty minutes to say something, you got to get to the. It gets to it right away. Absolutely. Well, let's do this. We're 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 at sixty minutes, so you know okay. we don't want to kill people here. Yeah. But I I have a few here that I've not seen, and I just want to see if you have. Okay. Because uh, I I, I want to know if um, you know these are worth watching so on and so forth and the one i'm most curious about is um a tale of two sisters Have yes you seen that oh, yes it's gosh. a south korean movie right yeah it's yeah. A, it's a very very cool movie it, it's a, it's a ghost story it's 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 lush in its visuals um it's scary and creepy but it's i mean you know the south koreans and the japanese and the thais they're making some pretty scary horror movies and so, I mean, it's it's got all those elements. I, I highly recommend it. Well, you know, you just say that, and I, what I found to be interesting is the, the larger list that I made and kind of whittled it down. I was really surprised and really encouraged to see that I think even in the last five or ten years, there have been excellent horror films made outside of the United States. And it, it seems to be growing. Like they, they're making really good movies, which is Absolutely. really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't even meant, you know, there's just so many honorable mentions. We could talk about like wreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's on my that's, list. Mm-hmm. That's Spain. Oh, you man. Know, we, what a movie, you know, just so brutal. And I actually okay. thought the American remake wasn't bad either. Quarantine. Yeah. Quarantine, mm-hmm. uh, which, which really wasn't bad. Have you seen, um, and of course I just have to say Suspiria just to get that out mm-hmm. there. That that's, that's Italy, but it's just so good. It's awesome. Okay, have, yeah. have you seen martyrs? Yeah. Yeah, I have. isn't that French? Yes, I think it's a French movie. Yes, it's yes. brutal. And you seen it? I've not seen it. 
and I, I, I've heard – okay, that one in a movie called Inside, I, I've heard are both so brutal you almost can't watch them. Well, but, I, I haven't seen Inside. Martyrs is brutal, but if you've watched Audition and if you like uh, Fulci movies, I think you can watch Martyrs just fine. And it has an interesting um, religious component, which mm. you know, given our particular interests, I think you would appreciate. Yes, absolutely. Um, Chronos device. Just want to throw that one out there. It definitely should be on the list. Oh, yeah. um, have you seen? And this is. I think this is the one I'm going to watch next. No, <laughs> I'm going to watch Tell Two Sisters. But the after that, I'm going to watch this one, The Host. I haven't, but I I, <laughs> oh I, I, I discovered it. Is it good? I've not seen it, but it looks awesome, man. It looks just like an old school creature movie. It does. You know? It does. I know. I, I'd heard of it, and I've seen it on Netflix. I mean, I've seen the, that it exists, but I haven't clicked on it yet and watched it. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe that's one we could watch and then come back and talk about that, it. Because I, yeah. I think that one's going to be fun. Yeah. You know. Um, and then I asked you this off the air, but um, – the same director who did Old Boy directed a film called Thirst, which is being – for everything I'm reading, is being said it's one of the most realistic vampire movies. Um, you know, It's come out in a long time. Everybody's giving it rave reviews, but you've not seen that either. No, no. Is it new or has it been around a while? I think uh, it's like uh, maybe 07, somewhere in there. Okay. So it's been, been around a while, but I, I really wasn't even familiar with it, which is odd because I know the director fairly well. But apparently, um, apparently it's unreal. And then the Devil's Backbone. I just wanted to shout that oh, yeah. one out. Yeah, you got to get yeah, you got to get Guillermo del Toro out there too. And then I think on the last podcast, uh, Danny had mentioned the Orphanage, and I mm-hmm. actually haven't seen it. Uh, it. It goes to that kid thing I talked about a little bit. Did you have you seen the Orphanage? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's great. I mean, I. I uh, this is another Guillermo, I think, a Guillermo del Toro movie, and he's just got a great style, and, and it's a good, it's a good ghost story. It's a good old fish. Are there what, what are some you'd just throw out real quick? Um, a couple of the others I was thinking of was, uh, you know, the obvious Japanese ones, Ring, the Ring, you know, the Ringu, which is which I I really like. I mean, I I like the American version as well, but um, I think the Japanese one you gotta know. I was going to talk about um, a French film from 1960 called Eyes Without a Face. It's a medical mm-hmm. horror, and it's got a it's creepy. It's just it's just creepy, and I like I'm fascinated by medical horror and body horror. And then the other one I was going to mention was um, and I wonder if you know about this one. It's an old old movie by Fritz, directed by Fritz Lang, starring M. It's German, 1931. Yeah, I, we've I think maybe. It, I think you've mentioned that film before. I, I think I probably have. It's it's you know it's really intriguing. It's a it's you know it's kind of a crime story slash horror. Maybe it's just verges on the horror genre, but it's got a serial killer who kills children and and um, you know in Berlin in 1931, and the police are trying to crack down to find this guy and they can't find this guy, so they they just double up all their shifts and you know and everything. And what happens is the organized crime in Berlin at the time, you know, their their trade is in is being interfered with because there's now there's a policeman on every corner and they can't have that. So the organized crime guys get together and decide we're going to solve the crime and they they hunt down and find them and sort of a vigilante justice kind of movie. Lock your doors, <laughs> bolt your windows, <laughs> hide the children. That's right. 
the terrifying conclusion. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Scott. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a good uh, time. Good enjoy. Miss Danny, I bet he would have had definitely something to offer because he watches a lot of uh, foreign films, I know. But uh, we'll get his take on that next time. So uh, have a great, great weekend. And until next time, thanks for tuning in to Body Count. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. I think next time we may talk about soundtracks. And that'll be fun. Awesome. awesome. Uh, soundtracks to movies. So leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. What are some of your favorite foreign horror films that we missed? And tell us why you think we're right on our picks or we're wrong. And um, we'll get the conversation going. Have a great one. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.